Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody, okay? We're going to be talking about pornography and the porn dogs who look at it. <laughs> so, you know, you know, pornography is often referred to, at least in the United States, as porn. And it's uh, any uh, sexually explicit material, whether it's written, whether it's visual, anything audio, whatever. And it's intended to, to really arouse people. But, you know, it has this also this biological thing that it does, which it basically uh, provides dopamine uh, because looking at the pornography releases some of the pleasure-based um, chemicals that our brain has and induces us into a state of sexual arousal, which obviously you're not going to be in your deepest thoughts and your your most profound thinking is not going to happen then. You're going to be more focused on uh, receiving pleasure. And so, you know, there's a huge increase in the presence of Internet in the daily life. And, and basically what's come with that is the rapid spread of porn. You know, the world's largest uh, site claims just just in 2018, last year, and I'm not talking about 2019, 2018, it had a daily average of 92 million unique viewers. And the vast majority of those viewers are men. And so, you know, you have to wonder, you know, what effect does this porn have on individuals and relationships? And if is it harmless pastime or is it an addiction? You know, you know, it's a fun way to add spice to a couple's sex life or is it a relationship destroyer or potentially is it both? And there's a lot of debate uh, whether uh, pornography is detrimental to sexual development and mental health. And, and that's picked up a lot of steam. Uh, you know, a lot of research, uh, researchers have debated the existence of porn addiction. Um, and it's really not a concept that really was ever heard of until recently. And um, it's really not in the DSM-5 as far as a diagnostic, uh, 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 you know, something that we're going to label you with. But, you know, pornography's main detractors argue that the use of porn damages intimacy and relationships. And the basically, you know, whoever you got laying with you, whatever, your wife, your, 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 your partner, your, your uh, girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, whatever it is, you know, bottom line is nobody's going to be able to compete with porn. You just can't compete with porn. And the, there's so much out there that people can rake through it and get down to their very, 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 very specific uh, uh, obsessions and, and, and attractions. And so, you know, and that your partner may not have signed up for. That might not be something they're willing to provide you. And so uh, many people fall into that addiction because what they're getting from – not getting from their partner, they're trying to get from the pornography. And then also that means – uh, oftentimes, it, it, it goes on into affairs and other other type of, uh, you know, uh, worship. And, and so, you know, many times uh, talking about your sexual fantasies may not be comfortable with your partner, especially if they're like a surprise, something new. After 10 years, you finally told me this. What, what are you talking about? You know, um, 
you know, it also may uh, stem, stem some sexual offenses, like a greater understanding of sexual diversity, uh, help people access their desires and their, their sexuality. That's a good thing. But, you know, if they're going to focus on children or something uh, uh, vulner- like a vulnerable population, that is never, ever, ever acceptable. And yet people can form those kinds of addictions, those kinds of attractions through the Internet, sad to say. You know, some people are comfortable with their relationship with porn. You know, I have to say, you know, and in, in just in a Christian community, it's it's just as much of a problem as it is in, in, a, in a regular uh, non-secular community. I mean, it's, you know, some people uh, continues to be a really tough topic for many people, and, and male and female who report feeling confused, embarrassed, conflicted, ashamed about their own use. And at its simplest level, porn depicts other people engaging in a lot of types of sexual activity. And so oddly, we find that arousing. And its primary purpose is just that, to sexually arouse the person watching it or listening to it or whatever they're doing. And, you know, it seems like it would be a simple solution for people who want to increase or heighten their sexual arousal in their relationship and by incorporating porn. Um, and some people, it may work well some of the time. But, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that your attitudes about porn can make a big difference, as you might expect. You know, for men who are more accepting of pornography, there's higher levels of porn use were, were associated with greater relationship satisfaction. And um, But that's not found in women, by the way. And so for both men and women who are less accepting of porn, there's a higher use of porn was linked to lower relationship satisfaction. And, uh, you know, over 20,000 people found uh, in a study found that, that those who'd seen porn, not necessarily together in the last year, were 12% less likely to have a happy marriage and 10% more likely to have had an uh, extramarital affair. And to be fair, the, the most past research is focused on negative outcomes. Um, none of these tap casual relationships. So, you know, it, it may be that people in unhappy relationships turn to porn for needed distraction or an escape. And so, you know, we used to think that almost all men use porn at least occasionally, but that women only use porn in sexual context with a partner. And, and, you know, pretty much you're right about men. But we know that up to a third of women report using pornography regularly, like weekly, or with or without a partner present. Or, and some porn sites are among the top 50 most visited worldwide, and 90% of adults have viewed porn at least once. You know, th- this industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's total emphasis is on orgasm. Um, it's on body image. It's on... Um, uh, create you know arousal of any kind of dominance of of, of uh, pacifists of uh, people liking different types of body parts. I mean, it's it's incorporating porn viewing into a couple's sex life can have benefits of approaching uh, the partners by stimulating them by providing a catalyst, but it's never a good idea. Uh, because, you know, making love or having sex or having sexual contact, foreplay, whatever, it should be intimate. It should be truly intimate. And it should be truly about the two people that are there, not just uh, some kind of circus or performance. You know, it's, it's about connecting. 
And, uh, you know, if it's if, if porn can be used to, you know, occasionally supplement and not substitute the real life action, maybe that's good if both are uh, uh, comfortable with it. Now, you know, if people some are addicted and, and it's a loaded subject pornography. So opponents argue that it can ruin marriages, lead to sexual addiction and, and other behaviors and encourage sexual aggression even. And, and that can be true because, you know, when people are viewing uh, pornography, the bottom line is they're looking at an object. They're not looking at a person. They're looking at an object. They know nothing about the person that they're watching, but they're turning people into objects of their own gratification. And then they go out on the streets and they go to, to places like a bar or they go to the mall or go to walk down the street or whatever. And now they're doing that to everybody they see, you know, and so anytime they're getting in a crowd, they're looking at them and assessing their body uh, compared to what they see in the porn. And sadly, uh, they lose contact with that person. They don't they don't connect with the person as a person. They don't they don't look at a woman as a woman. They look at a woman as something to be used rather than the person that they are. And, and um, same thing with a man. A man can be looked at just as as an object rather than the person that they are. And that's that's the sad disconnect that pornography can create with people, um, you know, a lot of people that pro- propose that pornography is erotic and it can enhance sex drives and sex lives and provide a safe recreational outlet, it, that's really tricky. It's, it's really according to how a person uses it. Is it a supplement or is it the center of their life? And, you know, whatever we spend the most time with is the center of our life. And, and if pornography rather than the Bible, is the place where you spend most of your time, well, I would profess that the pornography is the center of your life and, and maybe not something that can help you spiritually. And so, in some ways, you know, uh, the, the arguments of whether or not you think it's moral, the fact is people like porn, and really, you know, we have free will. And so, you know, various international studies have put uh, porn consumption rates at 50% to 99% among men and 30% to 86% among women. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous, you know, and, and the Internet has made it easier than ever uh, to get a fix and almost get it instantly and free. And so it's pretty amazing that, uh, you know, our children are now being exposed to that at a very early age. And that sexual dialogue is now taking place in schools in, in you know, second, third, fourth, fifth grade even. Because they're wondering, well, what is this thing about? And what, you know, they may have watched their dad watching it when the dad didn't know or the mom or both of them, you know, messing around with porn. Maybe they've, uh, you know, put something on TV and it accidentally comes up or maybe they turn the computer on and it accidentally comes up, whatever. But now they're exposed. And so, you know, while many viewers of adult content don't seem to suffer ill effects, porn can become problematic especially if it comes with masturbation, um, especially if people are, have a stressful life and they don't have a lot of time and they use the porn as a way to release themselves as far as masturbation. Well, guess what? That, that stress releases cortisol. It, it actually detracts from the, the, the muscle in, in, the, in the, uh, your vaginal organ or your, your, your penis. <clears throat> those those um, 
those uh, uh, veins that bring that blood and those arteries that bring that blood get narrowed down if you're under a lot of stress. And so if you're masturbating while you're under stress, guess what? You're narrowing the veins, you're narrowing the blood supply. So guess what? Your libido goes down actually, which means that you have to masturbate more to be able to be able to have an erection and have a, an actual ejaculation. And so, you know, sadly, um, people will find themselves addicted to porn and that's all they can do. They can't get it up with someone else, but they can certainly get it up with porn. And so it's really according to how you use it. And uh, when pornography uh, you, uh, becomes excessive, romantic relationships really suffer. And, um, you know, feel, it, there was a study on female college students that found that those who perceive their boyfriend's porn used to be problematic they experience lower self-esteem, poorer relationship quality, lower sexual satisfaction because how can they compete? How can they compete with that? You know, it, it's it's awful. It's a, it's an awful place for them to have to be. And so, you know, there's also another study in uh, Personal Relationships magazine. When uh, men use porn, they, they tended to report lower levels of sexual intimacy in their real-life relationships. And when women use porn, however, intimacy actually increased. You know, so it's really how we view it, how we view it. But this addiction thing, um, you know, men and women use different types of porn. You know, men are more often drawn to videos showing sex acts absent of, uh, absent of context. So you might not even see anybody's face. Uh, women tend to watch couples porn with the storylines and softer angles. So when partners use porn together, they tend to watch things where both people are more uh, egalitarian uh, participants in a sexual act. So, so some couples seem to benefit from pornography when it's involving uh, relational uh, pornography rather than just down and dirty go for it. You know, it's not quite clear whether pornography is, is uh, proverbal, you know, <laughs> proverbial uh, chicken or the egg. But, you know, does a person turn to pornography because they're already in an unsatisfying relationship? Of course not. The women are, are going to pull away or the partner is going to pull away and lose interest in sex. They'll discover that their partner is spending quality time with another affair, which is pornography. You know, um, Relationships aren't the only area where compulsive porn use can be damaging. You know, psychologists uh, describe, uh, you know, some reports of people losing their jobs because they couldn't control the urge to visit adult websites at work. And so when porn use becomes so intense in, in frequency and duration, it starts to interfere with the other aspects of a person's life. And so there's countless people out there that have been fired for watching porn at work. How embarrassing, how, how humiliating, especially if you have a family and children, how sad that a person would put themselves in that position. But that's what porn addiction can do because you need more and more and greater and heightened and more specific and more, more, more. And it just gets, it's, it, you have to have more and it has to heighten it up and have to amp that level of it up uh, to keep it going and make you want to come back. Um, because if you're going to watch the same thing over and over again, it's going to lose its stimulus. You know, um, there's a lot of experts that disagree over how to classify, uh, you know, ex ex excessive porn use. But we're, we're still not completely sure of what that is. 
And so, um, you know, it's probably too early to put a, a compulsive porn user in a box with people who suffer from drug and alcohol problems. You know, it's, it's, there's also, you know, the crossover where they may have drug and alcohol problems and pornography. You know, there's all kinds of things that can draw a person into this. But I would suspect that the one, and, and by the way, this has been around for millennials, pornography. It's been around forever. If you go to some of the, you know, uh, uh, the most ancient Roman findings, you're going to find pornography, Greece, pornography. Pornography has been around forever, probably in the earliest cave paintings. But, um, you know, if, if, if you look at the, the basic brain of a compulsive porn user, it, it resembles the brain of an alcoholic watching ads for a drink. Um, so, you know, it, it's basically, uh, once again, uh, if you look at how the, the CAT scans look at this thing, it basically looks like an alcohol addicted brain. And so, you know, there's also uh, a lot of results that brain responses to in people who have trouble regulating their porn consumption. And so they have a similar uh, EKG that shows or EEG to measure the brain response and, and basically that electrical activity uh, is, is a stimulus and the activity increases when people are emotionally engaged with the stimulus. So when people uh, with drug addictions view drug-related images, they show a clear bump in their, their, their activity in the brain. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about ED, porn, and uh, erectile dysfunction. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories, resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, pornography and uh, the porn dogs that come with it. You know, in uh, 2016, the U.S. military reported that uh, uh, porn was on the unprecedented increase and that there was actually ED, uh, erectile dysfunction, among American soldiers. And that research... Uh, based this assertion on, on some quick literature review and uh, and some cases of young soldiers who watched porn and reported that, the erectile dysfunction. And and from such a really small sample, no, no real scientific conclusion was possible. But, um, you know, they did assert that before the, the mid-1990s, when porn began migrating to the Internet, only 5% of men under 40 reported erectile dysfunction. But today... The porn is with just being a tap away on your phone. Th- this figure has actually risen as high in some studies as thirty-three percent, and and they, they they basically blame porn without considering any other explanation. However, because yeah, there's some other there's some other things going on here. Well, you know, uh, it, 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 since ED started to explode in the '90s, guess what else exploded in the '90s? In 1998, the FDA approved Viagra, which is an erection drug, and it's changed the terminology of erection trouble from the, the, the stigmatized label of impotence to the less demeaning uh, erectile dysfunction. And so thanks to Viagra and other erection drugs, medical and uh, media discussion of erectile dysfunction has increased enormously. And since the 90s, whether or not they view porn, men of all ages have become more willing to admit erectile dysfunctions. And it's quite possible that uh, this greater openness, not porn, explains the, the, the purported increase in ED. So, it, you know, erection insurance, erection drugs were, were developed for men over 50. But today, the majority of men who use them are younger and often substantially younger. So young men use the drugs not because they have ED, but as an erection insurance so they don't have to worry about staying hard during sex. So many men 
uh, from young adults through middle-aged men tell doctors they sometimes have iffy erections and are worried about it. So most physicians are quick to prescribe the erection drugs, even though the men don't have the, the, the clinical ED as the erection, uh, you know, as that has risen. And, and by the way, soldiers' emotional stressors, ED has two major causes. One is usually cardiovascular disease and the other is severe emotional distress. Both trigger a physiological reactions that narrow the arteries that carry the blood to the penis. So less blood, once again, as I said in the previous segment, uh, more erectile dysfunction. You know, few uh, young adult soldiers have cardiovascular disease, but some do. And so it's usually associated with smoking and obesity, both of which are associated with ED. And many young soldiers feel severely stressed by deep daily fears of facing combat and whether they might uh, possibly get uh, killed or maimed or, or deployed. That kind of stress can cause erectile dysfunction. And so how, you know, a soldier or a person copes with stress, you know, if a person's stressed by fear um, then and they start smoking and drinking and taking anti-anxiety medications. So guess what, you know? The uh, alcohol is the number one erection-killing drug. <laughs> Anti-anxiety uh, anxiety medications are also associated with sex problems, but I'm not saying don't take anti-anxiety medication, but, you know, bottom line is it can, it can affect erectile uh, dysfunction. And so, you know, uh, analyzing porn and, and ED Risk among a reasonable representative sample of like there was a research and at the Bowling Green State University in 2019 where there's, there was only like 877 American age men uh, age 18 to 60. They surveyed the men's erection capacities using uh, a standard thing, a standard series and assessed their moral feelings and their religious abuse, uh, beliefs. And a few porn-watching men reported ED, but overall there was no link between the two. The, 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 no evidence that, that, uh, that mere pornography is associated to changes in rectal dysfunction. But I would suggest that the pornography, if it's being used to masturbate, is going to be a big part of having erectile dysfunction. There's also a uh, religion stress connection. You know, um, th there might be uh, uh, the real cause might be substantial distress. Some young men feel when they masturbate to porn while believing that uh, the porn and, and self-sexing are going to take them to hell. So that distress releases that once again, that cortisol, that stress hormone narrows the penal arteries, reduces blood flow and then less blood. Bye bye penis. You know, um, there's a lot of sex therapists also uh, from people that come from a uh, Christian perspective if they hold back on sex until they get married. And I'm not suggesting they should have sex before they get married, but the people that do, if, if they have a long-term relationship, let's say, you know, two to five years where they never have sex with each other, they have a more higher likelihood to be more like partners and less like uh, people truly uh, enjoying the intimacy between each other because they've gone through a honeymoon phase where 
they didn't really have a honeymoon phase um, because they never initiated their sexual arousal towards each other during the time that they would have had the, the honeymoon phase. And I'm not suggesting people uh, breed like crazy and during that period, but I think you have to keep a temperament that even if you're going to restrain yourself from sex, you still have to have an intimacy type of, of uh, dialogue sexually in some way between you to keep that chemistry and that connection. Uh, and how you take that is how you take that and how far you go with that is how far you go with that. But the, the bottom line is you still have to maintain that attraction. And so, um, you know, there's there's been all kind you know, people, guys, especially after orgasm or ejaculation, uh, whether they're by themselves or with someone else, with or without porn, they call uh, there's a refractory period, an inability to get another erection for a certain period of time. And that increases with age. So that, that, that time between the refractory period, between the time that a person's going to get another erection, as a person gets older, it takes longer and longer and longer. It may take teenage boys only a few minutes to raise, you know, a new one. But as men grow older, uh, it could be several hours and sometimes 12 hours or longer. And it, it's neither masturbation nor porn that causes this, but the physiology of the sexual response cycle. And so, you know, it may not be porn that's killing the erections. That's just trying to raise new ones before your your period has ended. So, you know, after masturbating to orgasm, um, you know, to see how long it takes to raise your 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 next erection, that tells you how long your refractory period lasts. So, don't expect new erections until you're past your 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 uh, refractory period. And so, enough of that. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I quite frankly, I don't think porn and ED are totally tied to each other, but you know, it, because most of this evidence shows that pornography does not cause erection impairment. Um, most of it is their moral convictions that porn is reprehensible or sinful. So such beliefs cause a physiological stress reaction that reduces the person's um, willingness to use porn or the guilt and shame of using porn. And uh, sometimes there's no appreciation for the post-orgasm refractory period, attempting to raise the, the uh, erections before they're possible. And, you know, don't, don't be, um, you know, confused by a lot of studies summarizing that research often is flawed. Uh, as the military study I referenced earlier, but, you know, they do direct us to some insight and that's a good thing to have. Now, men in porn, you know, the problem is it causes, porn can cause a man to devalue their partner because they compare them with, with other people, especially on the screen. Uh, it, you know, can encourage men to seek out dangerous or socially unaccepted sexual acts like in public or, you know, in the car or in the parking lot or whatever. Uh, and at work, God forbid, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of claims uh, that, you know, the truth seems to be that men that use the pornography tend to have a much more verbose sexual dialogue. And some men uh, uh, blame it on that they're a sex addict, that they just have to have sex all the time, all the time, all the time. Well, that that's usually something that needs to go to therapy. Honestly, that means that they're leading their life with their libido 
And uh, if their libido is outpacing their partner, that can be a very, very, very sad thing in a relationship because that partner will never completely satisfy their partner. And that partner that has this sexual addiction or whatever they want to call it, they're going to go out there and try to find ways to to meet that need. Pornography is the easiest one. You know, um, the other thing is the impulse, the feelings. We have to recognize that they're fleeting. You know, and, and you have to really wonder is it whether regular porn uses leads to long-term sexual and relationship problems. But there, there's there's a lot of, of sense of um, just kind of looking at pornography as is this something that, um, you know, do you have to go by the impulse of the feeling to have to go to it all the time? Can you Can you somehow let the feeling run its course and then look at yourself and go, what about integrity? What about my integrity? You know, integrity is what you do when no one else is looking. And, and so, you know, porn is that one of those things that you have to begin to see if you want to be a person of integrity. And integrity leads to wisdom and self-esteem. It's a very attractive feature. And it's a good thing for, for, for a person, especially uh, any man or woman, to, to really value their integrity. And that means to, to um, be consistently making good moral choices. And the people that do that, even as you get uglier and older, that's what makes you more attractive. And so people that don't manage their integrity have a tendency to live a very alone and lonely life in the end because they never really managed how they made those decisions and, and they never really weighed the consequences of what that could do to them and how that could have affected their relationship. And all I'm saying is if you're going to mess around with pornography, it's really a dangerous thing when it comes to a relationship because it can change everything. It can also change your integrity, especially if someone finds out in a, in a large forum that that's something that you do. All of a sudden, bang, you, you lose your respect, you lose your job, you lose your friends, you lose a lot of things that uh, people just can't put up with because now it becomes a legal issue, especially if it's at work. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of pundits tell us that, that real men don't watch porn, that those who do are shamed and scorned for their despicable behavior, you know, but how do men watch porn feel about their viewing habits? That's, that's a really good question. Are they compulsively drawn to it? Are they, um, uh, hating themselves all the while they're doing that this or, or do they watch porn because they feel it provides them with something positive you know th these are things that you have to wonder and uh, there's been studies about that um you know but you have to ask yourself some simple questions have you ever watched porn have you done it in the last six months you know at any point have you been a regular viewer of point pornography at least uh once a month or at least um six months also, you know, are, are you uh, in the frequency of, of uh, viewing porn for a length of an average of uh, what is your length and average of a viewing session? And when did you first start it? And what age did you become a regular viewer of it? These are things that you have to ask yourself when you're weighing how much does pornography play a role in my life? And so if you look at some of the studies, you know, um, a lot of them show that uh, 97% of the studies, 97% of the people 
viewed pornography at some time in their lives. 94% viewed pornography in the last six months. 82% self-reported as regular viewers. So the average frequency of porn viewing is about three to four times per week with an average session lasting 15 to 30 minutes. And the average age of, per, of, of uh, first porn use is usually 13. And I would suggest that's going down, 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 down as we go into more social media, more use of the Internet for almost everything. And um, we really have to look at how this affects us as a society, how this affects us as people. But I can tell you that men who are more religious reported more negative than positive effects of pornography, but they don't low, uh, report a lower frequency of porn than non-religious men. So no doubt uh, they experience conflicting emotions as they struggle to reconcile their behaviors with their beliefs. They're also easy targets for uh, you know, the porn addiction therapy. Um, which they often get thrown into because they shouldn't be doing this. If they're going to be, you know, religious of any kind, if they're going to be a believer in God, that just doesn't usually fit into the doctrine of, of what a church wants. You know, once again, if, if you think about a God-based world, God needs to be the center of your life. God, all everything in your life needs to be given up to God as a gift. Thank you, God, for, for giving me this, even my income. Thank you for allowing me. And then you appreciate it from that perspective. And that's how you get that good relationship with God. You know, it doesn't mean uh, that a person that has bad habits like porn or like smoking, like alcohol, like drugs is a bad person. They can absolutely be forgiven Absolutely move on. But you really have to, if a person's going to be confronted, like a woman is going to confront a man, like a partner, who's doing pornography, who's watching pornography, they really want to know what your intentions are. What are your intentions when you're watching this? Because are they meant to hurt me? Or are they meant to to make up for what I don't do for you? Is it are you is it allowing you to be attracted to someone else and give you variety? What is the purpose of this? You know, and if a man is going to do the pornography and is going to be caught, he really needs to be uh, He needs to be evaluated by his spouse to find out what his intentions are, and that's where forgiveness is. What were your intentions? Did you intend to do this is a bad thing? Did you intend to do this while I was sitting in the room to hurt me? You know, what's going on with this? So that's how you confront the pornography. It's not about why are you watching pornography? You That's horrible. Blah, 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 blah. The judgment, just beating on it, beating on it, beating on it. That's no way to confront someone that's doing that. It's really finding out the intention. What and how? What made you decide this was a good thing to do? How did you integrate this into who you are? All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk into, uh, about some of the grounds uh, for pornography and some of the grounds against pornography and some of the arguments, and we're going to talk about a little bit of history, and we're also going to talk about uh, porn and infidelity. Come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. 
Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about pornography and the porn dogs who watch it. You know, um, the word pornea is also linked uh, to the concept of prostitution. Uh, in Greek culture, you know, the, the places where prostitution took place were called pornea. And it is also a term for derision of people who held uh, lascivious parties and their homes were said to turn their houses into porneia. And so uh, if, you know, if we're going to understand what the term porneia means, we need to understand that the profession of prostitution, as it was practiced in Jesus' day, you know, prostitution was practiced all throughout the Mediterranean region, including Israel, Egypt, uh, uh, Syria, especially Greece, and later Rome. And in the sixth century BC, um, there was a uh, statesman, the Solon of Athens, that was not only the father of democracy, but he was also the father of state-sponsored sex slavery, establishing houses of prostitution actually in Athens and filling them with female slaves. And so the, those brothels were found throughout Athens, especially near the marketplace or in front of the citadel. And throughout Greece, it was generally accepted that young men and even married men would frequent prostitutes. And then basically when Rome essentially followed the Athenian model, and then it developed laws to regulate prostitution. So, of course, they had to find a way to make money. First time uh, Rome administrators established a full registry of Rome's brothels where there were 64 official bordellos containing 35,000 women and 2,000 men. So prostitution in Rome 
complemented the mixed uh, sexual morals of that particular culture. But then the sex industry also took off uh, in the visible entertainment ring so that the, this uh, these prostitutes that, that emerged into the formal entertainment. So then there was the alutris, which was a flute player, the pasaltria, which was a singer, and the orchestris, which is the dancer. And so these entertainers had generally low uh, sexual and social status, though they, the, the highly you know, sought-after, uh, talented entertainers were counted uh, among the upper class. And so these entertainers were commonly uh, at Athenian banquets, private parties. Um, they were widely known at times to be paid for their skills, uh, a performance of flute playing or, or drumming combined with erotic dancing that basically amounted to a strip tease. And then they often had other skills such as juggling and fences and, and acrobatics. And so while the entertainers also worked the streets, they frequented the Greek symposia. So, so that's the parties for socializing, for drinking, intellectual discussion, entertainment. And so there was numerous references to erotic dancers and comedic and, and sympotic literature. And, and um, you know, uh, uh, Aristophanes actually called these women dancing pornea. And, uh, you know, uh, the, in some of the theaters in Rome and uh, throughout Italy, um, they actually had a, um, a, uh, a, a like a, a slapstick that was a penis. And so basically they would hit people over the head with this giant penis. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing how much people just worshipped this culture. And so it took off like, like crazy. And... Um, Basically, what's happened is it's moved its way into the much more sophisticated uh, world of our computer screens, magazines, and, and all kinds of uh, movies and, and things like that. You know, let's look at infidelity. You know, what is monogamy? You know, it, it's, it's really long been a stable assumption of any Western marriage, and it's deeply ingrained in the psyche of most Americans as a necessary requirement of a successful marriage. But in, in practically every state, uh, adultery is grounds for divorce. And, you know, in the Bible Belt, adultery can be used in court to punish the guilty spouse with a required alimony or total loss um, of alimony. And although most people assume that it's men who are most likely to have affairs, there's a lot of women that have affairs and, and, and they're, they're more likely to engage in than men. And, and thousands of divorces that, that even I've worked in and had to deal with and had to work through with people trying to get them back together or not back together, you know, um, usually the affairs don't ruin the marriage. Usually what they are is a red flag that there's, a sim there's some symptoms in the marriage that are awful, that are not happening, that where people are just totally bypassing each other. And so, um, you know, looking at that, uh, it's really usually not the affair, but it's it's the uh, it's the idea that after how the affair was found, did the partner find the affair? Did they have to discover it without the other one admitting it, or you know how was it discovered? And then to how pervasive was it, and how emotional was it? Because most affairs, um, if it's just physical, it's and I'm not saying this is okay because it's not okay. But if it's not a, an emotional connection, it's not as deep of a threat 
uh, as an emotional connection. Those emotional affairs can make it very, very, very difficult uh, to put a marriage back together. You know, some some people uh, use sex as a battleground uh, where they, uh, you know, they resent each other for accusations or trust issues of some kind. And they beat each other over the head over those things, and then they lose their affection, they lose their sex drive, and so they take that out of the marriage. And yet they find themselves lonely and needing and wanting and having the sex drive, but they have no place to do it because they're too stubborn to fix their problem within their own marriage. You know, and it's sad, but um, infidelity uh, can happen in the head before it happens in the heart. And before it physically happens. So uh, the, the bottom line is when you use sex as a battleground, if you're in any type of relationship, you're going to find yourself having some trouble on the backside in some sexual way, whether it's uh, an affair, an infidelity, an emotional affair, whatever it is, they are going to find a way to meet that need just by their biology. You know, the, 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 usually some of the situations is the spouse develops an emotionally intimate relationship with uh, somebody. Most typically, it involves a colleague at work who's proved to be an enjoyable companion, empathetic listener. You know, they may work, work on some projects or thrown together in long evenings at work or even business-related travel. Uh, the married employee is not seeking an affair, fends off his own and impulses to go to bed, but when the other spouse finds out the sense of betrayal, it can be great as if the sex actually occurred. So that happens quite often. And in modern marriage, intimacy uh, has perhaps become the primary measure of a good marriage. Married partners, particularly not uh, exclusively women, expect partners to communicate feelings and to respond into the feelings of the other. So most uh, common refrain of initiating women is that she's fed up with her husband's inability to communicate on an emotional level. It leaves her feeling lonely, isolated, feeling emotionally disconnected. And that feeling is commonly accompanied by a gradual withdrawal from sex, followed by the resentment and the reciprocal withdrawal. So when the spouse who uh, wants the intimacy, it's infuriating to discover that they're engaging in in communication with another person, and especially if it's pornography. Because when it comes to the pornography, they're like, wow, what in the world? So this is where all your energy is going. And they're not even a real person. And you're going there with it? How dare you? We could be fixing our marriage and you're doing that. And so, you know, it's, it's how much time the spouse is spending and how much energy hiding their pornography and, and how much they're, they're, they're focusing on that. That will drive a partner crazy. There's another trend that uh, it's called virtual infidelity and involves the easy uh, um, availability of pornography on any internet. But what men are doing now and what people are doing now is they'll actually video or, or watch somebody live on a live cam on the computer doing sexual acts with another person or with themselves or being told what to do by the person watching and basically what happens is in that person, that person's getting gratification as if the person's there, but they're not. But they are there. They're just not actually in person. And so they're getting all this, this uh, it's a two-way dialogue basically going on. And that in itself is breaking all of the walls and all of the barriers 
just short of actually uh, physically touching each other. And so there's a huge amount of industry, especially with young college girls trying to put themselves through college, that uh, end up putting themselves on these sites uh, at certain times. And then people um, come on the Internet and watch them. So what is adultery? It's one of the most uh, exceedingly terrible things that can happen to a marriage. And it, it abuses all that you've worked for with your accomplice, uh, with the person you're way, uh, with, and in so many ways. But there's a large number of us who's actually been uh, casually uh, double-crossing the, the line. And then when we're, they're caught unaware before they could uh, even process what was going on inwardly and why they were doing what they were doing. And, and it can really feel like a bad thing. Um, has never hit your marriage, but then all of a sudden, when it's discovered that adultery is taking place, uh, it's hard for a person to even come to grips with understanding it. So what, what kind of adulteries are there? Well, there's, there's passionate adultery, where couples frequently consider physical unfaithfulness first with regards to put stock in infringement in the relationship. How, you know, this, this, it's an enthusiastic uh, disloyalty. And, um, so basically, the enthusiastic closeness, passion are one of the greatest dangers to the connections on the ground that they're regularly surrounded by blameless uh, uh, relationships. So they aren't generally the most straightforward to recognize because they're, they're just there passionately doing sex and then all of a sudden they go back into their life. And so it's like they're just doing it to be companions for the moment and then bang, they're no longer loyal to each other. And so they basically do hookups. And then there's this energetic uh, type of adultery, and it's also difficult to see. So they start to uh, physically observe, uh, uh, you know, cases of vigorous, uh, it incorporates like wrong considerations, imagining a man or, or uh, someone else as your partner, fantasizing about a person, uh, you know, laying down and having dreams about this person sexually, but never really... Uh, having that relationship, but but every time you see that person, you're just deeply attracted to them, and and you exhibit yourself in some way that shows that you're disloyal to your partner and really would like to have a relationship with this other person. Then there's this mental adultery, you know, and that is where we uh, uh, um, it's one of the most serious issues, and and basically uh, mental adultery is to look with a deliberate and cognizant want to satisfy a desire. So it's uh, to picture circumstances of brain to think adultery in the psyche with a man at the point of an open door were exhibited to you, you would submit the, the demonstration. It's simply something tormenting how you connect yourself. You, you uh, uh, I'm trying to put it in words, but it's basically when a, a mental adultery is when you put yourself in situations where you are trying to see yourself in infidelities with different people, with sexual episodes with different people. And, and basically that's all within your brain, but you don't exhibit that when you're around the people that you're, you're dreaming about. And oftentimes you're not even dreaming about the person, an actual person. It's an, it's an image of a person. The, the biggest ones though are visual adultery, which is the porn and the spiritual adultery, which is unfaithfulness to your, partner out of the thrill that it is something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, 
And so, you know, the, it, things go all kinds of bad places with pornography. Once again, if it's used as a supplement, you know, I have no problem with it. And I'm not the moral judge anyway. Everybody can make their own decisions. But what I want to talk about is healthy. And is it healthy? And that's the important aspect of it. It can be a tool, but it has to be a healthy tool. All right, that's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, our webpage on voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel is called Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, if you can't afford porn, just turn on women's tennis and shut your eyes. <laughs> there are a number of mechanical devices which increase sexual arousal, particularly in women. Uh, chief among these is a Mercedes-Benz uh, 380 SL convertible. <laughs> also, sex at age 90 is like trying to shoot pool with a rope. <laughs> that comes from George Burns. <clears throat> also, Bob Hope. My father told me all about the birds and the bees. The liar. I went steady with a woodpecker till I was 21. Thanks for listening. <laughs> That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 